You know, I really believe that Jesus is coming soon. I never felt it's so crazy. There's, there's such a crazy line of logic in our world. Just, just crazy. A lot of uh, bizarre things are happening. You know, seeing that the Lord poured out the Holy Ghost shortly after the turn of the century, the way He did, I'd certainly hate to approach the turn of this century uh, not filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't know if that is significant or not, but I, I feel that there's some, there's some indifferent things happening in the world. The situation with Israel and the, the, the uh, Palestinians, the, the peace treaty, it's a very, very complex thing. It's something that most people consider to be very bizarre. It's something that, that people thought Israel would never even consider. But they've not only considered it, they have deliberated and worked on it. They have fallen into the pressure channels of various nations to get this thing behind them. We know, according to Daniel, that uh, there will be some type of freedom. Some type of freedom. I just believe that Jesus Christ could come back any time. Any time. Now, the scripture that I read from the book of Zechariah, I only read a part of it. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? Question mark. We know that that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying they did take hold. In other words, God's word reached out and gripped their fathers and would not let them go. I want to preach on the subject held by the grip of love. Held by the grip of love. We used to sing a chorus, Jesus got a hold of my life and He won't let me go. Now, it's been a long time since we sung that. How many of you know that chorus? All right. I don't know when we sung it last, but it has been some time. We got a little uh, laughing and cutting up going on back there. It's been happening all during service. And I'm not going to tolerate this. Now you boys straighten up and fly right. Or fly some other place. Okay? This is the house of God. We need to respect God. We must respect God. Okay? Now I'm going to be making some statements tonight about the vengeance of God, about the curses of God upon mankind. I think the atmosphere here should be very sober. And sincere. And I feel that we need to understand that in the recent surge of the moving of the Holy Ghost throughout the land and people desiring to please God, that some have drifted astray and they have picked up on some mushy love 
pipe doctrines that uh, the God of the Old Testament somehow was a different God of the New Testament. That in the Old Testament, that God was a God that liked to show His strength, He liked to show His muscle, He liked to show His vengeance. In the New Testament, that God is a God of grace and God is a God of love. Now, I cannot find in my careful studies of the Bible, that the character and attitude of God changed drastically from the Old Testament to the New. Now, let me explain something. The law, which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that was completed or fulfilled, and thus it was left behind. So, as far as the ceremonial law, definitely. Uh, no doubt about it. But on the other hand, we look under grace and we find situations like Ananias and his wife who were not honest with God, not honest with the apostles, and we see how that these two people, because of the lying spirit that came upon them, how that they fell dead at the feet of the apostles. In other words, the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. There is only one God. And while we do know that His plan, as far as His plan of salvation, changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament because of the changing of dispensations, we do know that the very basic nature and attitude of God toward man did not change. And that God was to be revered in the New Testament and respected as much as the God of the Old Testament that did flex His muscle and smite people upon occasion. There's no doubt about it. But for some reason, I believe, in this recent surge of so much preaching of love, that we have failed to interpret love according to the Scripture the way that we should interpret love. Basically, here's what's happening. There's a lot of people that are receiving the Holy Ghost, in other words, They're getting a hold of God, but God's not getting a hold of them. And they reach out and grasp Him when they're in trouble and when they need Him. But the very moment that they desire to go their way, they seemingly open their hand and they let Him go. But more than us reaching out to God and holding on to God, we need to throw ourselves into His hand and ask God to get a hold of us. That's what we need. That's exactly what we need. So some people get Jesus, but I wonder how many people are allowing Jesus to get them. Now, we know that love has a... True love has tremendous hold. Uh, I see that exercised 
in the lives, especially of young people, uh, when they are courting, uh, dating. Uh, in the Song of Solomon, the second chapter, verse 5, and I've read this, uh, most of you have heard me teach this, a lesson on it in, in our Christian stewardship class. But uh, the Song of Solomon depicts a loving relationship between Christ and the church. It's symbolical of this. So if you want to read some real mushy-mushy stuff about love, you can read it there in the book of Solomon. How many of you have read the book of Solomon? How many of you young people have recently read the book of Solomon? <clears throat> All right, in Solomon 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. Now, sick of love does not mean sick of love like we get sick of something. Uh, you know what it means to get sick of something, don't you? I get sick and tired of some things. I am pretty much sick and tired of the winter. <clears throat> and uh, I thought the other day that I'd just pray about this. It was thawing, and I was telling the Lord how much I loved it, and I think I was the winter. And... Uh, <clears throat> I got. Uh, I never dreamed, see, that two or three days later I'd be stuck in my my driveway. Our driveway is 875 feet long, and it takes Sister Grant a long time to shovel it out. <laughs> you know, I have this bad ankle. <laughs> I went home from church Friday, and I started down the driveway and. It was, I'm serious with you, it must have been two or two and a half feet. I plowed into it about uh, probably 300 feet, and I was stuck. I took the four-wheel drive pickup truck down there, and I tried. It would not budge it. I had to go get the big tractor out of the barn and, and pull it. I just pulled it all the way up to the house. It's still in a snowbank. Uh, <clears throat> I just didn't have enough time to... To get it out. I did plow the driveway out enough to, to get in and out. I am pretty much sick of the winter. But I can't do much about it. Because there is an overall plan that God has. And uh, for some reason, He wanted us to have the most snowfall that we've had since way back in the 1800s in one month. Can you believe that? I don't know what God had in mind, but but He had something in mind. He sure tried my patience. This is one of the the few times in my life that I've just kind of thrown my hands up and forgotten about some things. I just said, okay, if it snows, it snows. And if I can get in and out, I get in and out. And uh, I thank Brother Rossing for plowing me out several times. He was down and he made a way. Brother and Sister Grant to get out. But the sick of love that he's talking about is not this type of sickness where you're just plain fed up with it. No, that's not what he's... He's saying that this person is lovesick. Love is indeed a sickness. Uh, the reason why it's a sickness is because all of a sudden when you fall in love, it's, it's like the the trap door 
and the bottom of your skull just opens up and your brains fall through. It's like you walk around without any brains for a while. And you just don't, you can't perceive what is happening. Just, you know, it's just mine. Uh, all of you can relate to this. All of you. I remember years ago, the primary concern that Sister Rutherford had was getting married. She just, mine. And then she started dating this tall, handsome Jimmy Rutherford. and It was uh, humorous. I mean, it really was. Of course, at that time, I was kind of playing the field, you know, so to speak. Had several different girlfriends. I was such a handsome guy, you know. (laughs) I remember Sister Rutherford, she'd have a date. She'd start getting ready in the mid-afternoon. And she'd be ready hours before Brother Rutherford arrived. And then she'd do a strange thing. Whenever he'd drive up, she'd be watching out the window. She'd run in the bedroom, close the door, and tell me. She'd say, Would you tell Jimmy I'll be out in a few minutes? I never could understand that. He'd come in. I said, She'll be out in a few minutes. He'd sit down. He'd talk a little bit. He seemed to be nervous. Then all of a sudden, she'd walk out the door. <clears throat> now, brother and sister Rutherford, if, 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 if I'm thinking correctly, I think they're going to have their 37th wedding anniversary this next week. Is that right? And what day is that? Saturday. All right, Saturday. 37 years now we call it love sickness, but it has really lasted. <clears throat> it has really lasted. And then uh, after they would uh, uh, stay gone most of the evening and come back in, then he'd always have to come and come in. And I remember uh, very vividly one time I was sleeping on the sofa. I'm not for sure just why, but I was so tired. And, and I told... My mom, I said, if that Jimmy Rutherford comes in this house tonight and sits in the living room where my bed is, I'm just going to go right in there and just pull off my clothes and crawl in bed right in front of him. And she said, you better not do that. But she was asleep. And as sure as I stand behind this pulpit, I just went in there and crawled in the bed. <laughs> Amazing thing about it, I don't think he noticed. <laughs> they really had it bad. I mean, really. <clears throat> and that's what love does. There is nothing that can capture your attention like falling in love. Students at school, they get this, they start daydreaming. They just, you know, and you can go by and you look in their eyes and they're not in there. <laughs> you pull on their ear and look in and they're not in there either. Where are you today anyway? You're not at home. 
This is the reason why that Peter says that charity or love covers a multitude of sins. It's really amazing if you love someone how much you overlook their weaknesses. That you, if you really love. Did you know that I have seen couples that I felt were not compatible and I have begged them to constructively look at their differences and they would not do it. Go make a list of all of the things about this person you like and then think about all the things that probably would be a hindrance. One boy did this. I don't remember this congregation now, but it was. He's moved on, still serving God. He came back with this 101 uh, uh, points, uh, the things that he liked about this girl. And then he had nothing on the negative side. I said, surely you can... I just thought that that she needed to look at this and he needed to look at it. He said, truthfully, Brother Grant, I can't think of one thing about her that I really don't like. I said, surely one. He says, well, she does have very fat ankles. <laughs> Forget the ankles. <laughs> <clears throat> But you know, in our relationship with God, this is, this is what, this is what the prophets were saying, that, you know, they, they elevated God, their fathers elevated God to the point that, that everything in their life was God. I mean, they talked about God. The Deuteronomy 6-4 law was the law of their life. Did they look at the laws of God as being grievous? Absolutely not. Why, they were eager. They were absolutely eager to do what God wanted them to do. And so as a result, the Bible says that, that God's laws just held them. It was like God's love reaching out and taking a grip on their life. And holding them. They had a firm grip on God. God had a firm grip on them. Now, when we think of love, we, we think of, of love being understanding and trusting enough that you could open your hand and let the individual go. That's true as far as the physical hand is concerned. But on the other hand, the tie that's in the heart will not let the person go. It's there. Heard a story once about a man who was on the shore of a swollen river and on the bank of a swollen river and he looked out and he saw this man that was drowning and he quickly jumped in and swam out there and grabbed him by the hair of the head and started back and he Felt the load get real light, and he looked, and the guy had on a toupee, so <clears throat> he had nothing but a toupee in his hand. So he ran back out there, and he grabbed the man by the arm, and started swimming, and 
All of a sudden the load got light and you realize that the man had an artificial arm. So he went back and he got the man by the leg, started swimming and found out the man had an artificial leg. Well, the man was going down the last time. He swam back out there and said, Look, fella, if you want me to save you, you must stay together. <clears throat> I did read an account of a true story of some river incident in Georgia where a whole city was wiped out. The man saw his loving wife screaming for help, grabbing for debris, doing all she could do. He did not know if he should chance it or not, but love says, you must save her. He jumped in. He swam out. Of course, she was so hysterical that she was fighting. He couldn't even get a hold of her. Uh, he saw that uh, perhaps things were just going to get go too far. There happened to be some paramedics, some firemen working on the shoreline. And they begged this man as he was trying to, they were screaming at him. And he followed their instructions. And what he did was, he doubled up his fist and clobbered her up on the side of the head as hard as he could. Literally knocked her out. And she stopped fighting. And when she stopped fighting, he reached out with the firm grip of love and brought his wife to the bank. And you know, that's what God has to do to us sometimes. This is the reason why so many times in the Bible we find this exception to the original rule. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. And while we are fighting God with all of our might, and God is wanting to save us, sometimes the firm hand, the same hand that loves, is the same hand that will smite an individual. And the individual will fall to his face and die. He dies when he repents. He gives up. And then God's hand reaches out and picks us up to save us. I don't know why it's that way. Maybe it's just human nature. But I will say this. I fought God as hard as anyone has ever fought God. And why? I cannot tell you why. I just know that I did. I did. Now, I want to talk about faith versus obedience. I think that this is something that is extremely important for me to talk about. And the reason why is because this is the age in which we are talking a lot about love and we're talking a lot about grace. And there's a downplay on obedience. That people, uh, when they talk about obedience, they talk about dead works that James talked about. It's, it's strange to me that in the same book in which dead works are condemned, also works of faith are commended. If people 
are wanting to use the book to condemn dead works, I don't understand why they can't use that same book to find that an act of obedience to God is just action on your part that comes as a result of faith or a loving relationship. I, I can't see how in the world that people can preach faith and yet at the same time preach that it is almost a shame to put any emphasis on obedience at all. That sounds so self selfish, maybe I should say. I have carefully searched in the Scripture and I am a firm believer that when it comes to obedience, you will never progress in God past your last act of disobedience. That's as far as you'll ever get in God. If God has called on you to do something, if you have read something in the Scripture that you're unwilling to follow, that is the end of the road as far as the blessings of God are concerned. And you will never progress past that last act of disobedience. Unless, of course, you repent. Except you repent. Now, I was explaining this one time in a little coffee house setting where someone was talking to me about faith and they said, well, Pastor, you're making it sound like you can buy a miracle. I want to talk about that just for a moment because contrary to what you might think, obedience plays a very, very important part in the correct response that you are desiring of God. In order to prove this point, I go to Malachi, the third chapter, where we talk about tithing. I guess it's alright to talk about tithing. We had something I thought was very unique happen. <laughs> Yesterday we moved in a fire file cabinet. Uh, we need that for our transcripts and such for our Christian schools, so we got a bunch of muscle men here on Saturday and moved that thing in the, in the school office. Oh, it, it weighs a ton. And I'll tell you, it is heavy. You get, uh, one man can get on the corner and try to pick it up, you just can't budge a thing. So the men struggled and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and Finally got it in place, and I told him, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay each one of you $100 for, for helping. So I passed out five or six $100 bills. United States Playland toy of $100 bills. <clears throat> this is sponsored by the Imperial Toy Bank. So I... I paid those. Brother Pete Zins, uh, Brother Pete's not here tonight. He has a real sense of humor. He looked at it and said, 
you serious? First he said, no, I don't want any money. Found out it was $100. Changed his mind. <laughs> he looked at it and he said, well, <clears throat> I guess if I get paid this kind of money, it's all right for me to pay my tithes with this. <laughs> so this was in the offering plate this morning. <laughs> Brother, Brother Bill Thorpe put his in too. <clears throat> he put his into the missionary. <clears throat> so, so I got two of them back. <clears throat> it's not just like the Lord though. When you give them, you get it back. <clears throat> Given it shall be given unto you. <clears throat> we had a young boy in our church several years ago. It was really humorous. <clears throat> he was just a funny little guy. Just as cute as he could be, and he put on. He came home with us from church, and he put on Steve's size 11 tennis shoes. He stuffed the toes full of uh, newspaper. He he'd only brought his church shoes home, and uh, I told him, I said, you can't play basketball in those shoes. And I said, it's it's too cold out. Pull your shoes off. He wanted to pull his shoes off. I said no. So he came down the stairs about this tall. He probably weighed 60 pounds with these tennis shoes laced up. I've never seen anything. So it looked like Charlie Chaplin. You know. <clears throat> well, at any rate, <clears throat> they got to play and something happened. I said, well, I'll tell you what they'll do. We'll run over to Kmart and we'll see if we can get a pump and we'll pump this uh, ball up. So they jumped in the car and I got halfway over there and I noticed he had those shoes on. I said, oh, no. <clears throat> I said all that to say this, though. He got in the back seat and he crossed his legs. <coughs> I was real concerned about whether I should ask him not to go in to Kmart. I mean, he, <laughs> I knew he'd be the center of attraction. <clears throat> but he was sitting there. He said, you know, Steve, he didn't know I was listening. Something real funny about our church. said <clears throat> about your dad. And <laughs> Steve said, what? He said, you know, every time the offering plate passes, he pulls out that check puts it in. So he said, what's funny about that? He said, everybody knows he gets it right back. <laughs> it doesn't really work quite that way. <clears throat> but I will say this. I have been the recipient of many of God's blessings. And I say this humbly. I really do. God has been so very good to me. Malachi 3, verse 7, Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? They had strayed so far from the ordinances of God that they didn't even know what they were doing that was wrong. Does this sound like America? My, 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 my. And let me just say this. I'm so very thankful that this H.R. 6 bill in the house turned out the way it did. We prayed and fasted and you called in. People all over called in. It was amended twice. The First Amendment uh, excluded homeschoolers. I don't know how many, how many people are in the House of Representatives now. How many... Uh, Four hundred and four hundred. Does anybody know the exact figure? Oh, I'm sorry, I I thought I knew until I started to say it. 
All right, Liz knows. <clears throat> Must be 453. Yeah, there you go. I got it. All right, 453. <clears throat> that might be fictitious, okay, but it's 400 and something. At any rate, <clears throat> when it was amended, 453 voters, 452 to 1, voted in favor of the amendment. Praise God. The only person voted in against the amendment was the man who authored the bill, George Miller from California. The only one. And then another amendment was placed in, and that was to exclude private and parochial Christian schools, and that bill passed also with flying colors. So that simply means the federal government cannot under any circumstances, regulate or tell us what we can or cannot teach in our Christian school. And I say thanks be to God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. But the big question came up, well, if we believe in separation of church and state, where in the world did we come up with this saying on our coins, in God we trust? Somewhere, and it is a known fact that while our forefathers did believe in separation of church and state, they never intended for the religious influence, Christian influence, of American people to be shoved off someplace in a corner and the government be ran separate and apart from any religious influence. That was not their intent. Their intent was that we will not endorse a church because we came out of a land in which the church pretty much ran the government and we were prohibited from worshiping according to the dictates of our conscience. But I'm amazed at how many people on talk shows call in and, and they're just totally frown on anything godly that is stated in public meetings and such. Just frowning. And that's what happened to Israel. They were saying, where did we go wrong? You talk about your ordinance. You show us one place that we've disobeyed God. Well, the whole truth of the matter is, they weren't obeying Him on hardly anything. Because they elevated the commandments of man above the commandments of God. And they simply just shrugged their shoulders and they said, what have we done that's wrong? How many households do you go into where people are having monumental problems? How many young people do you talk to that can't figure out the right hand from the left? Confused. How many homes are in disarray? How many people are in hospitals dying knowing that they will go into eternity any moment now? And they just simply shrug their shoulders and they say, what have we ever done that's wrong? You see, we've lived through several different stages of Christianity. There was a time in which man perceived the Bible to be the unadulterated Word of God. After a while, people said, well, there are exceptions to this. God loves the man enough that He would never do him any harm because God is so good. And now in our New Age movement, the story has changed. We're saying that man is so good that God would never do him any harm. 
Then, of course, the prophet Malachi rings out, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings? You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. Even this whole nation! Now my whole point here is not to just teach on tithing, but to show you a principle. This principle works in other areas. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now, wherewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, and do what? And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What God is saying is, you prove these ordinances. You say you cannot buy a miracle. But you take my word and step out. And you obey the Scripture and see if miracles won't come your way. Talk all you want to about the mushy, mushy love. Talk all you want to about the grace of God and faith that you have in God. But you'll never progress one step past your last moment of disobedience with the Master. That's as far as you'll ever get. And God says, back up and take a fresh look at this. You say you can't buy the blessings of God? You say you can't buy miracles? Prove to me! Try me! Obey the Scripture and see if I will flood your household with blessings. Now, this is not only taught right here. Let's turn back to the book of Proverbs. Now, I know that I'm talking about tithing, but nevertheless, it's just a good place. I'll be going to other Scriptures, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this. In Proverbs, the third chapter, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. He shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy first, with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. I'll tell you what. We need a baptism of the fear of God. Not only in America, more specifically, here in this liberal state of Wisconsin, in this city, and also at Calvary Gospel Church. We need that. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary in His correction, for whom the Lord loveth. He correcteth. Whatever you do, put yourself in the firm grip of God's loving hand. And say, Lord, whatever you have to do for me to be saved, do it! I want to be saved! If there's something about the Scripture I don't understand, open my understanding, oh God, open my understanding. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. <laughs> my Lord and my Savior, my Lord and my Savior. Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter, talks about the offering of the first fruits. 
which is symbolic of the paying the tithe. And then in chapter 27, we find some elaboration uh, concerning this. And then we get into chapter 28, conditions of the blessing of the Lamb. I want to read some of this to you. And it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God and observe and do all His commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Listen to the reading of the Scripture. We didn't take this out of the Sunday findings. This is coming out of the Holy Word of God. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. In other words, God's saying, if you will do this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come in and grab you with my blessings and totally overpower you. I will wrap my blessings around you so strongly that you cannot escape if you'll do this. Oh, hallelujah. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shall thou be in the city and blessed shall thou be in the field. In other words... If you're in the city, what's he going to do? He's going to bless you. But if you're out someplace in the field, what's he going to do? He's going to bless you. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies to rise up against thee, to be smitten before thy face. And Come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Folks, we're reading the Bible. I'm saying we're reading the Bible! We're telling people just have faith in God! And people, many people that have not put Jesus Christ up as number one! They never have, and they have no intent to do it in the future. They come in very sorrowful, and they leave very sorrowful. And somehow God never gets His hand of love around them, and never captures their affection and their trust and their love. If there's anybody sitting on the side of my voice that fits in that category tonight, you need to put those elbows down on the table someplace. And put your Bible before your face. And you need to read and read and read it until you know God according to the Scripture. Oh, there's a lot of wild ideas floating around about how to pray and how to get a hold of God and the prosperity doctrines and how I can do this. Just name it and claim it. But I'm here to tell you, my friend, it was not that way in the Old Testament. And it is not that way in the New Testament. And in all of our experimenting of how we're going to have the revival of the last days, 
we still haven't come in contact with the answer. Perhaps we're overlooking something that's very vital that's taught in the Word of God. If you're here tonight and you have personal needs, if I were you, my advice to you, oh yes, have faith in God because you can't discipline yourself enough to obey the Bible. You can't. But I know this, if you'll fall in love with God to the point that you'll obey it. If you'll get ready in the mid-afternoon for a date at 7 o'clock at night. I know too many people, Pentecostals, they don't know until church time whether they're going or not. Then they'll walk in about 30, 40 minutes late. Then after a while you see them kind of drifting and drifting and drifting away from God. And you do everything within your power to pray and seek God and preach and get them saved. They don't go to pre-service prayer. They're never in song services. How is that person going to survive? And the whole point of this is that when love gets a hold of you, when love gets your heart, and that's a mutual affection that you have with God, you long to get in God's house to do God's work. Oh yes, I've heard all those old cliches. Oh, well, I can serve God without church. Oh, you can? How come then every time people leave the church, they backslide? Not too many out there talking about Jesus. Because after a while, you see, there are too many instructions in the Bible. Concerning what we are to do, the preaching of the gospel, spiritual gifts, when you all get together, when you all come into one place, in one mind, in one accord. Let me tell you something. I want to see a 100 soul revival. I want to see it more than anything else in this world. But I don't think it's going to come just by panicking with Jesus and saying, I love you. Some of you have missed more church in the last six months than you have in the last ten years. And the reason why is because you have allowed the devil to talk you into believing that what you always were taught from a child is not important anymore. You hear me? And you will not progress past your last point of disobedience with God until the firm hand of God smites you with repentance. And you allow that same hand to reach out and grab you and capture your affections and me. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I don't know for sure if you'll walk on streets of gold just because you talk in tongues. <laughs> well, when the Lord shall command a blessing upon thee and thy storehouse, and all that thou sittest thine hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and the Lord shall establish thee in holy people to himself, 
And He has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep His commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in His ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. In other words, there will be a fear that comes upon people when they come into your presence. Not only will they be afraid of thee, but it also means they will respect you. My, 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 the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, thou shalt not Wow. You think about this. You think about this. I remember several years ago when it seems like I was a recipient of so many good things. The reason why is because every time we gave an offering, I couldn't give. I'm serious with you. I just had some... I went down to the basement of my house and I prayed until I came up with the answer. I came up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I woke Sister Grant up and I said, Hon, we can give our way out of bed. We can do it. I know we can do it. Because I've read the Bible. We can do it. Start giving. Sunday's 25 cents. You, 10 cents. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sponsor everything I promote. I'll give to everything that my brother feels is a just cause. We started doing this. And slowly we started digging out of it. You see, I read in the Bible a verse that said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. God's Word said, If you will do this, if you will honor me, when you go out of your house, you're going to be blessed. When you go out in your field, you're going to be blessed. When you go into your marketplace, you're going to be blessed. When you go into the store, you're going to be blessed. When you go in the presence of your brethren, you're going to be blessed. When you go in the presence of your enemy, you're going to be blessed. The same God that spoke in the book of Malachi and said, Prove me. Over and over and over and over again stresses the extreme importance of obedience to the Word of God. Say so you can't buy a miracle? Let me ask you this. How much do you make on your job? You don't have to say. Let's say a man makes $500 a week. Years ago, that was uncommon. That was as much as made a month. Well, we have several people here that make $500 a week. Now, $50. For a measly $50. God is saying, when you get up in the morning, you're going to be blessed. When you go to bed at night, you're going to be blessed. 
When you go to your house, you're going to be blessed. When you go out in the field, you're going to be blessed. When you go into your job, you're going to be blessed. When you go among your brethren, you're going to be blessed. When you go among your enemies, you'll be blessed. Whatever your hand does, you're going to be blessed. Can you find a better deal than that? Oh, for 50 bucks. They don't make deals any better than that for the man. I say they don't make any deals on this planet earth any better than that. All for fifty dollars. That's it. Just keep my orders. Just obey me. You say you can't buy a miracle? My friend, it's miraculous. When God says, everything you do, man, blessed. Take these little children when they get a dollar. Teach them to get ten cents. Teach them to do that. Instruct them to do that. Fifty bucks. That's how blessed I can be. And I say, oh, Brother Grant, you're making this thing so carnal. I didn't write the Bible. Am I preaching to you what's in the book? It's in the book. And if it's in the book, my friend, heaven and earth shall pass, but that word shall endure forever. God said what it meant and meant what He said, and it's forever settled. And I can't change it even if I want to change it. For 50 bucks, everything I do is going to be blessed of God. Come on around with your mushy stuff. Talk to me about love. Talk to me about grace. But you will never progress past your last act of disobedience to God. Do you believe in grace? Oh, yes. But I believe that any concept of grace that does not lead you to a closer relationship with God is an error. The doctrine about love that teaches you infidelity to Him is erroneous. Fellow Mashatalamata, for $50, what a deal. I say, what a deal for $50. I think that is my job, isn't it? To show you how you apply the Word of God to everyday living. Now let me read to you something about the conditions that will bring the chastisement of God upon the land. Verse 15. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God and observe to do all His commandments and His statutes which I have commanded thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. If you don't let the firm grip of love get you, and you struggle out of the hand of God, you know what's going to happen? The curse 
You say, what's the curse of that? It's the same thing. One holds. The other smites and holds you. You say, oh, I don't believe that. <clears throat> Verse 16, curse shall thou be in the city, and curse shall thou be in the field. Curse shall thy basket shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of the land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shall thou be when thou comest in and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursings, vexation, and rebuke. You can't buy a miracle. I don't like when you look at it as if I'm buying a miracle. That's not it at all. But I think sometimes we over-accentuate some things. And in our own mind, when we say, oh, I can't buy a miracle, we dismiss the fact that we are to obey, regardless of what the analogy is. All for fifty dollars. That's all. It was God that says, "Prove me, that man." It wasn't John Grant. Well, I've been preaching a long, long time now. I, I feel. I feel that we're building toward a 100 soul revival. I believe this with all my heart. John 6 and Brother Starks preached from this this morning. Jesus went about doing good. People began to follow Him. He healed many people, the miracles, the diseases and such. Jesus went up into a mountain and there He sat with His disciples, John 6, 3. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was nigh. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come to him. He said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient. For them, that every one of them may take a loaf. Because we don't have enough money. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Now let me just tell you something, what I see in this. These people wanted Jesus. They followed after. They had been with him for three days, they not eaten. When it came time to eat, they said, Well, we better go in and buy some bread. We'll take up an offering and buy bread. The people were so poor, there was not enough money collectively among the five thousand men plus the women and children to buy even a morsel of bread. There wasn't enough for them. Not enough. Not enough. 
In other words, obviously these people were so broke, they couldn't eat this. They didn't have it enough. So what are we going to do? Andrew says, Lord, there's a little boy over here in the basket. 5,000 people, plus the women and children. 5,000 men, about this, plus women. Five loaves. Two fishes. Now I can see, because this is a very poor country, not enough money for an offer. I can see this mother. And she packs a lunch. I don't know how long the little boy had been. Perhaps mother and dad were there. I don't know. But the little boy had the lunch. This is all we have. But it's necessary for us to call Jesus. So let's pack the thing down here. And so, we do. Now, <clears throat> Jesus looked out and saw this vast What are we going to do? Not enough money to buy bread. Jesus said, bring the lunch to me. And he did. Little boy, probably a mother and dad, that's all they had. It's not much for them either. And Jesus is going to take it away from me. Now let me tell you something. If you've ever practiced Christian stewardship, according to the Bible, you have never experienced freedom if you've never done it. The best freedom in the world is to be free of all of earth's treasures. Naked came I into the world, and naked shall I return. Everything I have is on loan to God. He can have it. Anytime he wants it. That's his. The house I'm living in is not my home. No. This little boy was commanded by God give it up. Here he his lunch. Probably with a smile on his face. He's a child. He doesn't know anything. While mother and dad, no doubt, sit in the crowd. Tears in their eyes. Probably they'll feed the hierarchy. The teacher and the apostles. And we'll all be similar. But But as Jesus began to break the bread, and bless it. He began to pass it all around. Those people who had fasted three days began to eat. They ate. They ate. They ate. And they ate. And Jesus blessed and broke. 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 You know, the best thing you could do with your house? Put it in the hands of Jesus and let Him bless it and use it. You know, the best thing you could do with your automobile? Put it in the hands of Jesus. Let Him bless it and use it. 
Some of you are screaming and crying that you don't have enough time to do the work of the Lord. You need to thrust yourself in the hands of Jesus. Let Him bless you and use you. You'd be surprised how far a little thing like you would go if Jesus would bless it. You hear me? You see, the reason why we get so frustrated sometimes is because we want to take our little basket and hide someplace under our own little shade tree and eat it. And let all the world be hungry and die and go to hell. But you are little lad. Here he is. And after Jesus had fed everybody and everybody had eaten to the capacity They took up all the fragments. My own imagination, now I see mom and dad, they slipped out and they've gone home. And all of a sudden they hear the scream, cry. A little boy that runs down the street. Mom! Dad! You can't believe this! Burst in the front door with arms loaded with food and puts it on the table. He said, This is what would let breath after Jesus touched him. You need to run your life through the hands of Jesus. You'd be surprised how much God could use your voice to sing. You'd be surprised how much God could use your voice to testify. You'd be surprised how much God would use you in intercessory prayer. You'd be surprised what you could do in teaching whole Bible studies. You'd be surprised what you could do singing in the choir. You'd be surprised what you could do playing the piano, the organ, or the guitar, or the drums. You'd be surprised what you could do when it goes through the hands of Jesus. And all because He gave it up. Freedom. Give it up. the Holy Ghost here. God's wanting to minister to someone. <coughs> Perhaps I have someone in the sound of my voice. You're not totally giving to God. Why don't you come and bring your little basket, pass it through Jesus' hands tonight. See how fulfilled you will be when you leave this place. Maybe we have someone here that's financially down. Maybe you haven't been practicing some of the principles of the Scripture. I know I talked about money. This is true in other areas. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised when you begin to prove God. God would do it. You'd be surprised. I don't want people to just rush up to the front tonight. I want you to give serious thought to this. You'd be by your head right now. Sister Grant, would you come and play? 
Will you put in the order again? Listen, I have been carefully reading my Bible. I'm not trying to get people to excel in works thinking that somehow God's going to feel obligated. That's not it at all. I'm simply saying that we need to let the firm grip of love get a hold of us. And we need to get that same grip on God. Lord, speak to us right now. We're just Your servants, Lord. We really have nothing. It's all on loan to You, God. We recommit all of our earthly treasures, our treasures, to You. We recommit our heart and our faith and our allegiance to You. Oh, God of heaven, <laughs> talk to us. Talk to me, God. You know, first, we have someone here that's never committed their life to God. Why don't you get up and come on down to the front tonight? Why don't you come on down? Come on right now. Come on. I know we don't have a lot of guests here, people who come meeting the Holy Ghost, most of you are Holy Ghost filled. God bless these two precious sisters. Someone else want to come? Come on right now. I know I preach hard to you, but I believe come rapture day, you'll be glad. Pass your life through His hands. Oh, God. My Lord and my Savior. Lord, Jesus, you paid it all. My worship I give all.